Cast is part of the Fire and Water Network. I've started writing down bits of conversation I hear in the bar. Sometimes people say things that strike me as snippets of Americana. You mean things said by uh, customers, employees? Yeah. The owner? Uh, I'm afraid you're not represented. Just my luck. She doesn't like my snippets. <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. Everybody knows your name You wanna go where people know People are all the same You wanna go where everybody knows your name Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and my guest this time is responsible for my re-watching and re-evaluating Star Trek The Motion Picture. And now, that film is my third favorite Trek film from the original cast movies. Please welcome from the Movie Film Podcast, Mr. Zaki Hassan. What's up, Zaki? Hey, good morning. How you doing? Uh, good morning. Thank you very much for being here. And uh, yeah, I, I just I was going, kind of going back through. It. I was like, when was the last time I talked to him? I was like, oh yeah, he asked me to to rewatch uh, uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture because I I'd posted it, it was right after my son was born. I was sleep deprived. Uh, there was a lot going on. I basically I was just lying in my bed and watching the Star Trek movies on Amazon. And when I got to that first one, I was like, oh my god, this is boring. Uh, and then you, you sent me a message and I listened to your episode on it and I, I really, I kind of rewatched it. I was like, you know what? I see what they're trying to do here. And it's, it, the, that movie is probably the closest we'll get to a long form episode from the original show just on the big screen. But it felt like they still only had a 44 minute episode of story that they blew That's up true. to two plus hours. But I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, getting back to Cheers, uh, same question that every guest has to answer. What is your Cheers story? How and when did you find the show? Um, you know, I, I think I became aware of the show uh, through, like, Mad Magazine parodies and things like that. That was the first time. Uh, you know, kind of the same as, like, with MASH. That's how I discovered MASH. It was the same way, like, through parodies in, in magazines. But uh, I saw... You know, there would always be jokes referring to Cheers, referring to Cheers, and and I didn't know what the show was because I lived in Saudi Arabia at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, when we moved back to the states, it was um, basically a fall of '92. So I started watching the show regularly during its last season. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember the very first episode uh, that I watched uh, was very near the end. Actually, it was the one where Lilith leaves Fraser and he mm-hmm. wants to. He he's he you know he's going to throw himself off a building. <laughs> And I, you know, I remember really um, more than the episode itself. I remember the ads that, you know, it was like such a big deal, like yeah. Lilith is leaving Frasier, you know, and uh, uh, that. So, so I, I didn't so much know the show, but I knew well this is something important, you know. 
And I feel like I started watching just in time to feel something for when it ended because that was, you know, the last season. And I, I, I more, more than anything else, I remember just the, the cultural moment uh, that surrounded the finale. I mean, it's unlike anything I've seen since. I can't recall another series finale having that much sway over such a big chunk of the population like Cheers did. Uh, you know, e- even when Seinfeld ended, I didn't feel like it was as big of an event as when Cheers ended. I feel like they wanted to make the Seinfeld finale a big event, but partly because the Seinfeld finale wasn't that good of an episode, that, sure. that, that might have kind of lessened the impact that it had. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think that I think they tried. But well, let us. Uh, that, that is very cool. That's that you got into it just at the very end, and that you were there for yeah. the, the finale. But. Um, let us uh, rewind the clock about 10 years and get to one of the first season episodes. We are here talking about season one, episode 11, titled One for the Book. Uh, this show is written by Catherine Green, directed, of course, by James Burroughs, who did like 97% of the episodes. The original air date was Thursday, December 9th, 1982. On a night when Diane writes in her journal the quotable remarks said by Cheers' patrons and staff, two disparate souls visit the bar. The first is Buzz Crowder from the Fightin' Double Deuce, a veteran of the First World War who has come to meet the other doughboys of the 22nd Brigade for their decennial reunion. The next visitor is Kevin, who, on the eve before entering the priesthood, decides to have a first and last fling with drinking and debauchery. As the night progresses, Kevin gets drunk and mistakes Diane's kindness for mutual attraction. He forcefully and clumsily tries to kiss her and becomes more depressed when she rejects him. Meanwhile, none of Buzz's former platoon mates arrive for the reunion, and all through the night Sam is desperate to say something witty enough to merit entry in Diane's journal. By night's end, Kevin's faith in his calling to the priesthood is restored when he thinks he fixes the bar's broken piano, and the Cheers gang bucks up the lonely buzz by offering themselves as replacements for his bygone war buddies. As the coach says, and Diane is quick to write down, loneliness is a good thing to share with someone. Uh, that was episode 11, one for the book. Um, I'll mention right off the top... I really, really like this episode. This is one of my favorites from the first season. Um, I think it's firing on all cylinders, and it does something that later episodes of the show wouldn't really get the chance to do, which is it really lets the supporting characters shine in this episode, the guest actors, I should say. And I, I think Cheers eventually kind of got away from that because as more of the supporting characters, the Cliff and Carla and Woody and those characters, they all kind of got their own subplots in every episode. Um, the writers had to do a lot more with the bigger cast. But in some of these early episodes, you could have two guest stars come in this episode and really carry uh, the lion's share of the dramatic arcs and the comedy. What did, what did you think about this one? Yeah, I, I really enjoy uh, the fact that they're this early in the show's run, they're sort of stretching the boundaries of what you can do. And, you know, this is essentially, it's a plotless episode. I mean, it's a series of parallel vignettes that are playing out. And I love the idea that, you know, this is just a a night in the life of cheers, you know, and you can do a story like that uh, with the, the comfort level that comes from having a cast like this and a creative personnel like this, uh, where you just sort of, it's like, it's like a little wind up car. You just wind it up and let it go Mm -hmm. and, and you see where it goes. 
Yeah, I like the way you said that, like a night in the life. It's almost, this episode feels like a little encapsulation of how the bar and the people in the bar, the regulars, what their effect is on strangers who walk in on the bar. Like, people who come in and their lives are affected profoundly by being in Cheers for one night. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's a really cool uh, narrative device, like an avenue to like kind of like explore who these people are and these characters. Getting into it, starting right off the bat with the teaser for this one. Uh, this, is, this is just an amazing teaser, an amazing bit of storytelling, because I think I counted there are only five lines of dialogue, spoken dialogue, in this teaser. Right. And the setup is coaches wandering around the bar and a guy named Mr. Phillips asks him if he can go upstairs to Melville's to check and see if the party, the, the Phillips party, their table is ready. Coach says, sure. And he goes, to, he goes to the stairs, takes his apron off very slowly, very mechanically, puts a jacket on because he has to be, present himself to the restaurant, walks up the stairs slowly. We just, we wait for a few seconds. He comes back down to the end of the stairs, takes his jacket off, puts his apron back on, does the whole, goes through all these mechanics, walks back to their <laughs> table and just says, what was that name again? <laughs> it's, it's just like the perfect beat and he, he reminds me he's like Phillips that's right and he starts walking up and the whole thing hinges on just this moment where he's on he's like midway up the stairs and he stops and he looks right. back because you can tell he forgot the name again and then he remembers it and he goes back up it's it's just this wonderful like talk about economy of language hardly any dialogue but the humor just sold right there it's so good it's perfect yeah it reminds me there's um who uh, it was one of the, it was either the creators of The Simpsons or Futurama, which had a lot of the same creators or a lot of the same writers. But I heard like one of them once say like, "The audience loves a slow thinker," and yeah. I think that that really works for characters like Coach and like Woody. Uh, and I think like the context was they were thinking about the the moment of The Simpsons when Homer sees the Loch Ness monster. Um, and he's like holding up like a stuffed doll that he got from like a, a gift shop and the Loch Ness Monster is towering over him and it screams and he looks up at the monster and he looks at the doll in his hand and he looks back up at the monster and he looks down at the, the, at the doll in his hand and after like three times doing that he goes, it's him, it's the monster like it, and it's just like yeah, that the, the slow thinker when you have to see the process and how it works the audience really loves that because well, and, it, The beauty of it is that it's this archetype of just the, the this uh, they're they're almost childishly innocent, you know, coach, mm-hmm. and we carry that forward with Woody, of course, but even like Lowell on wings, yeah, you know, it's it's you know what what coach does in this scene, that's something a little kid would do, right, where right. the whole mechanics of that process, like he doesn't just stop at the steps and say, hey, wait, what was the name again? Like that's what we do <laughs> right. because we've got critical thinking, but that's not what children do, you know, <laughs> right, right, yeah, and in, the, in that way, it makes them more endearing because exactly. then suddenly what you would call stupidity is not a weakness or it's not a fault of the character. It's actually yeah. something that kind of makes them adorable. That's exactly right. Yeah. So You kind of mentioned that there's not really so much a plot to this episode. We just see this sort of evolution. I was actually going to ask, who do you think is the lead of this particular episode? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think to... I, I think it is Sam. I mm. think I think to the extent that he's sort of like the traffic cop, because he's the one who's directing the flow with all of these stories, but this is this is uh, more so than than most, especially in the first season. This is an episode where he really does sort of stand back and let the plot happen. But he he is still the lead. But it's again, I, I think I think uh, he's serving as as the person who's just um, who's who's allowing 
the traffic to flow around him. Yeah, yeah, he's sort of like facilitating because I think like, like and he, and he does have his own little subplot with Diane with trying to say something funny enough or or right. you know profound enough that she will write it down in her book. Like he he wants that. Like Norm, Carla, Coach, they don't really have their own plots, but I kind of think Kevin and Buzz, like the two guest stars, <laughs> they're kind of the ones who have arcs in terms they of have arcs. Like, they, they yeah. change throughout the course of the night so you'd almost kind of think of them by default as sort of the protagonist but i do think you're right in that sam is sort of the one facilitating their growth and their change throughout the night yeah no i, I agree with that yeah. yeah speaking of the the guest stars um the character buzz crowder uh elderly world war one vet he's played by ian wolf um, and I looked up this guy on IMDb, and who he he had been acting since the 30s. Um, wow. He appeared in Boris Karloff's The Raven in 1935, uh, The Mutiny on the Bounty, I think the original one. He appeared in THX 1138. Um, he was in episodes of the Andy Griffith Show, The Green Hornet, Wonder Woman. Uh, he was in two episodes of Star Trek, um, and the last credit. On IMDb for him, he was in Dick Tracy in 1990. That's uh, quite a run. <laughs> and then the character Kevin, who was played by Boyd Bodwell, uh, he appeared in episodes of The Dukes of Hazard, Remington Steel, Misfits of Science. He was in Newhart, and he was in Night Court. Um, I kind of thought he was bigger, but I think he just like had a really familiar face because I think familiar I, just, face. I saw all of the shows that he was on, like around this time, like during the in the eighties, like during some of my formative eighties like, yeah. sitcom guest star. Guy. Yeah, yeah. So I just think that formative era for me watching TV, he was in guest a lot of those shows. So I just kind of think of him as being a bigger deal, a bigger star. That's funny. Um, and then uh, the other guests, uh, the, the one of the like sort of tertiary ba- uh, bar patrons, a guy named Jack, uh, and then Mr. Phillips in the teaser was played by Frank McCarthy, who has over a hundred credits and he's in pretty much everything. Wow! Um, but yeah, the the whole subplot with Diane, like writing down quotable lines. There are so many like quotable moments in the show, and I just think like I could have I could have focused on everything. Yeah. Um, but kind of going around the horn and looking at the other characters, I think Carla is played perfectly in this one. Uh, she's just got the great sarcastic banter. She's got biting lines and put downs. Like this is like she's like they. I, I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast. Like early episodes, I don't think they really found who Carla was or the right tone for her. But by this episode, I think they know, and she's she's right on the money. Yeah, and and you know when when you say how early in the run this this episode came, I mean that's what makes it almost more remarkable. Is uh, you know even though they were sort of feeling around, they had a a solid enough foundation uh, to be able to go uh, off formula a little bit and still have it feel uniquely Cheers. I mean that's what makes this episode so cool to me is that it is a Cheers episode. You couldn't mm-hmm. have it's not plug and play. You couldn't have made it an episode of some other show. At that time, and you see why, uh, even at this stage of the show's run, it was perceived as something different and special. Right, and like looking at the, like the very end when uh, the the bar is closing and Buzz realizes that none of these other you know platoon mates made it for the reunion, the implication it's never stated the implication and then like they're trying to dance around it they're like you know people get busy and everything but the the fact is they're probably like those guys are probably dead you're probably the last survivor 
Yeah, World War uh, One. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so it's, I mean, that that was the implication. They they never say it, but that's the thing. But the last the last group of people who are standing, like the people left standing with Buzz at the end, um, it's the big five from the main from the opening titles. Like you know, Cliff at this point wasn't a series regular, even though he was in almost every episode. Yeah. Um, but it was Sam, Diane, Carla, Coach, and Norm. They're the ones kind of gathered around, and they all try to sing the song the Mademoiselle from Armentiers, which also known as Hinky Dinky Parley Boo, which I, I had to look that up. I guess it was actually kind of a risque song in the nineteen twenties, like <laughs> during around World War One when it was when it was created. But um of course they embarrass themselves by not knowing the lyrics and, and Buzz kinda of takes a shot at them. <laughs> uh, there's there's one bit of this episode that kind of like I it, it sort of I, I was when I started this podcast I was almost going to have like another category at the end where I talk about foul balls which is things that um, don't uh, like jokes or lines or behaviors that haven't really aged well sure. um, and and one of those I thought was going to be a lot of Sam's womanizing especially in in kind of modern context with but there's I think there was an instance in this episode when. Uh, Norm sits down, he's having his beer, and Buzz comes up from behind him, wraps his arms around him in a hug, and says, Hey, Pinky! Because he mistakes him for one of his former squad mates. And Norm goes, Uh, Sammy Tinkerbell here, or what? <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's like, Yeah, I'm not sure referring to the guy as a fairy because he hugs you is something that you could get away with today. It's kind That's of, true. And we understand, like, the joke is, but, like, the fact is, a few episodes from here, Norm will be the focus of another episode that deals kind of with homophobia. Actually, I shouldn't That's say kind of. Right. It's front and center. It's about homophobia, and Norm is right there at the center of it. Um, it's, but but I don't think like it's it's not a prejudicial thing. And he actually kind of plays it off. I think it was more surprise or anything because when Buzz says, "Hey, if I buy you a beer, you know, will you accept my apology?" and Norm says, "If you buy me a picture, I'll kiss you on the lips." So, right. you know, clearly his reaction isn't one of hostility or disgust in terms of it. He's just, you know, it was just. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it's a window into that time where yeah. we're referring to somebody who's homosexual as Tinkerbell mm-hmm. was sort of uh, uh, just part of the parlance, you know. Right, right. Uh, so I guess it's a good thing that uh, we've moved past that. Mm-hmm. And then there's just one other thing. It's, it's still in that same moment when. I have a tough time, like like the way Buzz phrase it. He's like, "You reminded me of this guy I I knew named." He refers to him as Pinky, but his, his last name it's an alliterative name. It's either Pinky Pierce or Pinky Pearson. Hmm. The problem is Norm's last name is Peterson. So, like when I listen to that, when I, I kind of it almost sounds like he's saying, "You remind me of Pinky Peterson," and I was like, "Well." Is he uh-huh. like? Is he his grandfather or his father or something like that? Like, oh, that's it, interesting. But so, but I, I don't think that's what they were trying to go for. I just think it was kind of like a mistake thing. It's like you, maybe you should have given them a different name that didn't sound yeah, like that. Like but Patterson or something. Right, right, right. Yeah, something like that. But God, there's so much about this episode that I that I enjoy. Like all of the performances, even episode at the time we're recording this. I just released uh, episode seven, which dealt with Diane being accosted in the back room by Norm's boss, and it's a blatant like sexual assault moment. We have in this one uh, something else where Kevin like gets drunk and forces himself on Diane again, like, yeah. tries to kiss her. It's really inappropriate, and today it's like no, you couldn't do that. But it's also it. It plays very differently because there's not a sense of menace about it. First of all, you don't think this guy, Kevin, would ever be really threatening at all. 
Right. Um, but it's it's also kind of just you know he he mistook her intentions and he's getting drunk for the first time. There's something kind of pathetic about it. Yeah, um, more pathetic. Right? That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's the word I use. Yeah. Um, but it's still. I mean, you see, it, she is visibly shaken after the after the experience, um, and she has to like walk off the screen, which leads to my favorite moment of the whole episode, which we'll get right. to. But well, I think I think uh, what, what I said earlier really applies. I mean, I think for me, uh, whenever I watch uh, Cheers uh, now as 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 uh, an adult, and you know, I I watch it all the time. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really focus in on on ted danson and how he does so much without doing much mm-hmm. like I, I he's so effortless and i'm and i'm just in awe of that because he's so he can elicit a, a laugh out loud moment without having to you know he he doesn't mug he plays it straight down the middle but he he's so adept at sort of being the leader of this this sort of three ring circus and and in you know the earlier episodes for me are ones I'm not as familiar with because generally speaking, for me Cheers is at the very least uh, I need you know Woody and Frazier to be there. Uh, so like the, the first you know two seasons are ones I've not watched as much. So revisiting this one uh, for this show, I, I mean I hadn't seen it in a while, so it was really it drew for me again how man like they knew what they were doing right from the jump. I mean it's that's a rare thing for sitcoms, you know. Mm-hmm. It's constantly rewarding on rewatch too. So yeah, yeah, and that's that's almost kind of a, for this episode. Like I I don't have as much notes because like I try to sit down and I just find myself just like stopping and just watching the show and like like in trying to prepare for this one I was just like, I could write down every line and it's it is funny that so much of this is about like you know Diane like quoting Carla or quoting the different patrons and Sam right. just trying so hard and failing he's like you know you know i'll find that truth comes in a glass and she just kind of ignores it she's like that's not that good and he's like or a mug <laughs> or your face and he's just <laughs> but yeah no he is he's really good in this one just as kind of like watching letting this thing play out and and even again like something that's very kind of subtle but you see the the nobility and what kind of a man sam is and why everybody kind of gravitates him and loves him when uh when buzz comes in you know he like coach helped him reserve the back room the pool room for this reunion well buzz himself says he's like i don't drink anymore but the other guys trust me they'll they'll drink plenty but none of them end up showing up buzz takes the pool room for the entire night never drinks anything like sam must have lost a ton of money just just uh, i didn't think about this reunion and at the end like buzz is like sam what do i owe you and and Sam's like nothing. Don't worry about it. He like right. just like brushes that off, and it's like, oh man, like it's it's you know it's kind of heartbreaking. But yeah, that's why that's why he's the good guy. That's why he's the leader that people want to surround themselves with. Well, and and you know, I mean, it's it's the the love story of mm. Sam and his bar, right? I mean, it's it's we were, we started this conversation talking about Star Trek. It's like Jim Kirk in the Enterprise. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's the next episode, right, where the guy is like, "Oh, I'll give you, you know, two million right. for the bar." You know? Right. And and you know, it's a joke because like Diane's like, "Oh, you're full of crap," and she tears it up, and ha <laughs> ha. You know, but when you think about it, like. Sam never took it seriously. Like, he's not mad at Diane. Right. You know what I mean? Because he was never going to. Like, $2 million is still not enough for him to part with the bar. And that's what I, that's what I love is um, it's the, the whole series, when you look at it in toto, you know, there's you know there's a big chunk where he doesn't own the bar. Mm-hmm. 
but it's the quest of him trying to get right. his bar and back. It's a singular you know? focus as trying to get yeah. it back for like three years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah because he sold it, but like probably at a moment of weakness when he was heartbroken. Exactly. He got rid of it. He tried to run away from his life and everything, and then and then yeah, he kind of he comes crawling back, and it's a big deal. So. Um, just before we get into some of our uh, superlative categories, uh, as my uh, little trivia uh, bonus, it's a little known fact. Uh, Norm tells Buzz in this episode that he served in the army at Fort Dix, New Jersey. A later season episode, uh, he mentions that he served in the Coast Guard. So just a little oh, bit interesting. of uh, mm. continuity bit there. Um, in terms of Norm's tab... Uh, I counted that he had four beers. Uh, it could have been three, but I think uh, uh, the way I'm tabulating these, I think he had four, uh, which brings his series total now up to 63. Wow. Um, of course, he had a lot in the previous episode um, during when, <laughs> when he was watching a baseball game that went into like 21 innings. So, uh, yeah, and, and uh, like as for like the big things – the employee of the week at the end, who did you think, what was the best performance or who was the funniest character on the, this episode? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I, I, hmm, I don't know. I mean, this, this was, uh, it, it, the, the riches were evenly distributed between, mm-hmm. between all of them. Um, I thought, I thought, uh, Nicholas Colsanto was great. This, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a great, uh, Rhea Perlman standout episode for her. Um, and, and, uh, I, I like Diane in this one. I'm hot and cold on Diane, you know? Um, I know, I know for a lot of people like that era is, is the defining one. And I came in after her, you know, so Mm -hmm. I, I, it always took adjustment, but I, I, I did from episode to episode, it varies, but I, I found her charming in this one. Yeah. I think, I mean, for all the reasons that we've said, I think Sam could easily be, the employee of the week for this one as kind of like the, the manager, the facilitator of the whole thing. Yeah. I could just as easily give it to either of the guests like Buzz or Kevin. Um, sure. I, I'm probably leaning more towards Kevin, the guest star. I think he just like, he was great. He was kind of like comical. And, and when he got drunk, he was just sort of pathetic. And yeah. when he heals the piano at the end, I just thought like his, his like expression when that happens is just really terrific. So, yeah. Uh, and then for home runs, um, like the the funniest or best gag, what did you think was the best moment of the show? No, well, it's got to be you know the 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 long setup and payoff of Buzz uh, yeah. getting down to the all together. Right. <laughs> I have this. I have the same one. So so to set this up, so he mentioned, and, and you're right, it's a long, it's a, like a, a long run out because they seed it early on. He tells Sam they, they seed it, and you're like, well, that's a weird ritual to have. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> he's like he's like saying he's like so I got to warn you. He's like the first guy to show up. For our reunions, goes back there, strips down to his all together. He says, and when the next guys walk in, he shouts, "Lafayette, we are here!" And he's like, <laughs> and they're like, and Sam's like, "Oh, great!" He's like, "By the way, could you turn the temperature up in the in the pool room just a little bit?" And he goes back there, and then it's like five minutes later, like we've completely forgotten about that. Diane is talking to Kevin. He freaks out. He like tries to kiss her, like muckles onto her, like almost like knocks her down. He's so clumsy and awkward about it that they kind of like separate them and everybody's just like freaking out because of this thing. And, and she's like, do you mind if I just go in the back to cool off? And he's yeah, she walks. We don't even see her. She just walks off stage toward the pool room and you just hear off screen. Lafayette, right. we are here. And she screams. And again, like the look, <laughs> the look on Sam's face is like, what the hell? Oh, and he just kind of like realizes what it was. And, no, it's, it's perfect. It, it, great, great moment definitely the saying out um and then yeah my my runner-up for that category was um 
when uh, when Kevin first walks in and sits at the bar, and he tells Sam, he's like, he's like, this is my first time in a bar. I expected to see a lot more lost, desperate souls. And Sam was like, well, right. Desperate Souls Night is Thursday. All the beer you can cry into for a buck. And it's a good line. <laughs> it's a good joke. And, and Kevin is like, that's very amusing. And Sam's like, well, thank you. Where's Diane? And he like looks around for her because he's been trying to get in her book. And he's, somebody's like, yeah, that's that's a line worthy of the book. And he's like, why, why isn't she here listening? She wasn't there to see it. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, yeah, it, like, it's, it's a tough one to, to review because I just want to tell people, just watch this episode. It's, it's so good. It's such like a quintessential, you know, day in the life of episode. And again, as I said at the top, it's one of those shows where you, this is about how the bar and the, like the, the regulars, the effect they can have on strangers. And like I said, like, th- this is a more common event, like kind of earlier on, because in later seasons, you wouldn't get this because... Sam would have an A plot, and then Woody would have the B plot, or Frasier would have something going on. Uh, and then right. Norman and Cliff would be up to hijinks in the background. And the writers would have to focus on the regulars, because the cast is so much bigger. So I just like that Like this was an early episode where you could share some of the wealth of the comedy and the drama with guest stars who come in. But uh, Any final thoughts about the episode before we go? No, this is a fun one. I'm I'm glad that uh, you asked me to revisit this one with you because it gave me a chance to, to like I said, I, I don't tend to dip back into those season one episodes as often. So it was nice to see it uh, in its uh, in its uh, you know when the when the cement is still wet. <laughs> there, there's still a lot of gold there, uh, and I yeah. definitely think like I, I think it's very easy to see as Sam is the star of Cheers because he was there for the entirety of it, like the whole right. 11 seasons, and it definitely becomes about him. But I think some of the early episodes, it's really – it's Diane is kind of more of the focus a lot of the times, and it's more about their romance. And yeah. once she leaves, it becomes more about the bar and Sam getting the bar and kind of like the whole world of that and the kind of – in order to – survive like one of their leading characters leaving the show they kind of tweaked what the show was about ever so slightly but just they did a really wonderful job but yeah i i highly recommend some of these early episodes yeah yeah well zachy thank you very much for being my guest on this episode where else can people find you or listen to you on the podcastosphere or anything else Oh well, first of all, thanks so much for inviting me on. This is such a thrill, and and uh, I, I hope uh, you'll have me back as we uh, as you continue to go through the series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, as for me, you can uh, find me. Well, my my uh, podcast is the Movie Film Podcast, and that's biweekly discussions with me and my partner Brian Hall about new releases and headlines and everything that's going on in Hollywood. I also have a spinoff show called Nostalgia Theater, which might be of relevance to your listeners. Actually, just a few months ago, I interviewed uh, Fief Sutton who was executive producer of the show for of Cheers for most of its run. Yeah. And uh, we talked about uh, really the entirety of it, but but specifically focused in on uh, what what the show means now, you know, 25 years after it ended. And I, I think it was a great conversation. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I hope uh, your listeners will check that out. And I'm on Twitter at Zachy's Corner, that's Z-A-K-I-S Corner. All right. Well, thank you very, very much for coming on the show. Uh, you listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. As always, you can support Cheerscast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can leave a comment on the post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Until next time, we're closed.
will you have? Uh, I'll have a carafe of your house whiskey. <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, is that a bad order? Well, not if you're a party of 20. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever been in a bar. No kidding. <laughs> no, really, I was just passing by and decided to drop in and see what it's like. Well, does it uh, live up to your expectations? Well, I expected to see more lost, desperate souls sitting around. Well, desperate souls night is Thursday. All the beer you're gonna cry into for a buck. <laughs> That's very amusing. Thank you. Where's Diane? <laughs> I've never had hard liquor in my life. You see, this is my last day in the secular world. Tomorrow I'm going into a monastery. <laughs> so this is uh, kind of like your last fling. Well, first and last. All right, I'll give you a drink, but I want you to take it easy. It kind of sneaks up on you. You know, I once thought of being a priest. Oh, you're religious. No, I just thought it'd be a nice kind of peaceful life, you know? <laughs> Allow me to dispel your misconceptions. Oh, thank you, Father. 